What's going on guys? Romer the Romer here. I'm here with the book flipper. He came in my neck of the woods. Yes, I did. This is uh, Caleb Roth. He's a creator of Scout IQ. He's also created this awesome spreadsheet. Those are the first, those are two things you're really known for. And he, those also, are good he things. also flips a lot of books. So this guy's awesome. He's got a lot of knowledge and I got a lot of questions from you guys that I'm gonna ask him. You got anything else to say about yourself? We're sitting in front of Avery's house actually. This is beautiful. Check yeah, out his crib. Look at this. This is not my crib, but we are somewhere in Tennessee. Mysterious, undetermined location. You guys have Yingling, wherever you're from? This is Yingling beer right here. I think it's the oldest brewery in America. Yep, America's oldest brewery. A lot of Pennsylvania. people look at this yep. as a luxury. Some states, they don't have this. Uh, funny moment, we were at a restaurant last night. Not very many people were there. We asked the waitress <laughs> what kind of beers they had on top. And she starts going through. She's like Coors Light, Miller Light, Bud Light, Budweiser, <laughs> Dos Equis. And then she goes, that's about it. I'm like, do you have any craft beers? She goes, what? I'm like, you know, like craft beers, like a wheat beer or an IPA or something not Budweiser. She's like, uh, I don't think so. So that just makes it clear that I'm a Colorado, and, and, I'm a Colorado and then, kid. Then you asked again, you're like, what do you have on bottles? And she said the same exact She went through the same <laughs> list. And she's just staring at me like, you guys are and not the from around the here. wings at this place got more expensive as you ordered more. So like <laughs> the, the more you buy, if you bought 50 wings versus five, they got more and more expensive. It was more expensive per wing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I digress. It's Tennessee math right there. <laughs> so let's look at these questions here. Um, All right. So these are unscripted. Yeah, he doesn't know and about I reserve any of these. the right to not answer any of them. And if he doesn't answer them, I'm just going to ask him again until he does in different ways. We just have to so. do push-ups instead. <laughs> um, okay, this is a question I get a lot, and I think it's a great question for you. We're still going. Um, it's what triggers should you use and why? So I, I think you could give a really good answer about this because you made the triggers in Scout IQ. <laughs> yeah. All right, and, so this is, uh, this is probably one of the most common questions I get asked as well. So first of all, you maybe don't even need to use triggers. So triggers are great. They help you quickly make decisions if you're brand new to, to scouting. And we should back up one step as a kid is playing soccer in the front yard, which is awesome. You should see more of that. Oh yeah. Uh, let me back up a step. Triggers are simply a set of rules. And when you scan a book or anything, it'll tell you accept or reject. So should you buy this or should you not? So when you're just starting out, triggers are fantastic. If you don't understand sales rank, if you don't know all the profits, if you don't know what's a good buy or not a good buy, if it turns green, buy the book. That simple as that. I feel like sometimes, tell me if I'm right about this, but sometimes I feel like triggers are like, hey, look at me, yep. I might be profitable. There's a lot of ways to set up triggers. Um, some people like to set up triggers to, to ding on a lot of things if it's worth looking at. Some people like to just uh, ding on something that's only really, really good. And your default triggers, though, do ding on like really, really high-ranked books, but if they're like over $50 profit or something like that, I think those are your last triggers. It's and that's, a that's more of a look at me, I, this could be something, right? Yeah, I would usually buy that with the exception of if it's over five or six million, I'm really making sure it's somewhat relevant content still. So what are you doing once it once it's over five or six million? Do you look at, into keepographs at all? Or? Uh, I may pull keepographs. But bottom line, if you're trying to figure out what triggers you should use, the ones that come with Scout IQ are pretty much the ones I use in my business. So if you trust me, if you trust the content I put out there, it's a great place to start. Now, some of you may say, hey, I'm okay making 50 cents on a book or a dollar on a book. I think the triggers start at $2. I'd have to go back. We just redid the low end of okay, them. I remember. I, I would say if you're gonna change the triggers, you should leave the rank and e-score ranges alone. There's a ton of science behind it. We do that for a reason. Books that sell a lot 
we're going to be looking at the third or fourth prime price if it's there and most of the time all right my mom just called and she she ruined his point whatever his point was it was a great point do you remember what you were at uh i was pretty much saying the triggers are basically what i use and there's a Which, lot of science that, that leads to my next question do you do you look at your phone when i i do okay i've had times where i'll go audio only i'll put the phone in my pocket we do have a lock screen mode that we just rolled out and so if you do use a bluetooth scanner you can put lock screen on put the phone in your pocket it won't you know the screen's not tappable at so that point so when would you go audio only versus you're looking at it like intently uh in like a liquidation option or you know somewhere where there's just a ton of books and i don't have time to really get through it you're look doing at the audio queue in that in that case it's sometimes it's fun or if you're just scanning all day sometimes i'll put music on or listen to like a tim ferris podcast and i'll just use bluetooth earphones and use my hand like the bluetooth scanner leave the phone in my pocket if it, if it bangs i'm just taking it yeah it's not perfect you're definitely going to miss things or you'll buy things you maybe shouldn't do it but when you've already bought all the books and you're just trying to blow through it sometimes it's good to turn the mind off okay but as a general rule i like looking at the screen you can make much better decisions sometimes it dings you know the lowest price is six dollars merchant fulfilled and the buy box is two hundred dollars so it's going to ding if you set up to look at the buy box now is it worth 200 absolutely not so what's an example of like a situation where you, you would it would say reject but you would take it uh, a lot of times, if the profit might be like a dollar ninety-eight, and I usually want two dollars. See, I thought about really that good, too. Then why, I'll, why I'll not? Do it. Why not just lower it to like one ninety-five as your trigger? Then you know what I mean. You can. It's not perfect. We could set it to one ninety-five, and you buy a few more books. And then it's like then one ninety-four is like the next thing you're looking at. It, you're like, oh, I could, well, I and, could do that. And we did know? this when we started off. My my wife and I would go through. We said, well, you want to make a dollar minimum, and then you get to ninety-five cents or eighty-nine cents, and you go, well, it's. You know, the rank is 10,000. E-score didn't exist at this time, but yeah. the rank's 10,000. It's going to sell right away. Maybe I can get a little higher than that. Yeah, we'll buy it. And we started buying books down to like 50 cents, 40 cents, because eh, gonna, it's going to sell quickly. Okay. What happens is the 80-20 rule kicks in. And so 80% of your profits in most businesses come from 20% of your inputs or your, or your books. That's not quite true in books. Um, it, it's a lot more spread out than that. It could be 20% of your, of your efforts still, though. Because maybe you oh, got sure. maybe you you got a majority really of your books. sources. Yeah, sure. But as far as individual books, we looked at it and it was I think it was twenty percent of our books were netting us three percent of our profits, and those were those low end books. So basically, one out of five books we were sourcing were only netting us three percent after fees That's after insane. some books didn't sell, and so we looked at it as well, you know, we could work four days a week instead of five, eighty percent of the week. And we'd only we'd still take home ninety seven percent of the profit. And I know it's a hard discussion because you're already at the thrift store. You've already scanned it. Are you going to make a dollar and bring it home? Maybe. But I, what we did is we moved our buying price up. At that at that point, fees were lower. We changed it from eight dollars to ten. Came back a couple months later, looked at the data, and again, it was very similar. Twenty yeah. percent of the books were yielding three or four percent of profits. Which I mean, a lot of this has to do with fluctuation. So maybe a book you thought was going to make you a dollar profit actually lost you five cents, or maybe it gave sure. you five cents. So, and you also don't sell everything. You list a hundred books, you're probably going to sell seventy-five to eighty. Yeah. So you're not going to sell everything, and if you're really working with tight margins, it's just extra work. It, it's the same effort to list a hundred-dollar book as it is to list a, an eight-dollar book. It still takes you the same amount of yeah, time exactly. to sticker it, put it in a box, and ship it. Do you have an opinion on uh, when you should download the database? Should you download it the night before the sale? 
Uh, always do it the night before, just because you don't want to do it. Like the database is always going to be a little bit dated, just because it's going to be a couple hours old. Yeah. We cycle through everything every 24 hours, but because by nature of that, half of it's going to be more than 12 hours old, half of it will be less than 12 hours. What you don't want to do is wake up the morning of, your internet has issues. I've done that. <laughs> and the database doesn't download, and you're sitting there panicking because you waited to the last minute. Yeah. Download it the night before, test it, go to sleep happy, and uh, yeah. don't worry about it. The Tell me. Most, most prices aren't going to change. The fluctuations do happen a lot, but a $20 book's not going to drop to an $8 book overnight. Yeah. It might drop to 18 Tell me if this is silly. I, I like to download it from like two weeks ago or even like a month ago. Is that, yeah, you mentioned and, this. And then, and then what I'll and do is I'll, I'll do a live search, and I think this is even more relevant now because Keepa just uh, Keepa you have to pay for now. A lot of a lot of people don't want to pay for Keepa, so this we'll be it, uh, we'll be implementing our own Keepa data into the app soon. So you don't, they, they, you won't already, have to pay for it. You guys it. have a screenshot of it now. Still, I still see that. Like. Yeah, it's up. there. So if you pay for Keepa anyway, it'll actually show up on your device. But we're but gonna. But there's something else. There's still that screenshot. I still see the picture right. of like the. Spike. Do you see the rank in it, or no? I don't know. I because I, I, I pay for Keepa, so I just go straight then to it's Keepa. There. Yeah, we have a, a picture. It's basically a, a rendered PNG image. But. Okay, um, but in a way, isn't having an old database and doing the live search isn't that kind of like looking at two points on a Keepa graph just real quick? Because you're seeing like eight ninety five and then oh ten ninety five. Kind of, uh, honestly, a ten dollar book is a ten dollar book. It might jump up to twelve, it might drop to eight, but it's typically going to stay roughly ten for a while. And some pe some people would jump in and drop the price to four or five. So then that would that would go with the argument. It doesn't matter if you download it the night before or the month before because a ten dollar book is ten dollar book, right? Typically, it, sh it shouldn't matter that much. It shouldn't. A fifty to, like again, triggers are going to find the really expensive stuff, right? So a basic good set of triggers I'm going to try and use my hands like an Italian a good set of triggers is going to help separate the studs from the duds right the middle area these books that make you 50 cents to two dollar profit there's a lot of those and you can build a business off of it but you might get really good at reading the data and picking slightly better books in that range and that's fine eScore is already protecting you because it's letting you know that a book that's ranked 150,000 today that was six million yesterday it's letting you know, you know that it only sold once in the last I, I six I think months. a lot of people now are kind of taking eScore for granted. And I kind of am too, because I got into it when eScore kind of became a thing. Before eScore, we were buying books all the time that were ranked 200,000. And we go home and look at the Keepa chart and go, it sold once in the last six months. Yeah. Why would we buy it? And that's fine if it's a $50 book. It's still worth taking a risk and trying. But if it's a $10 book and you just bought it thinking you're going to sell it pretty quickly, you're wrong. And maybe there's some old cats watching this too. Maybe that New York guy's watching this right now and he swears by sales rank. So if you're watching this, <laughs> why why is eScore so much better than sales rank? And kind of go in a little bit about like how sales rank, I think I heard you in, in Greg Murphy's interview say that once a book is bought, it drops down to 100K. Pretty much. So Always. rank updates theoretically every hour sometimes it waits till the book ships but rank is updating several times we don't know exactly amazon doesn't share it all but let's call it every hour and when a book sells a copy it drops to roughly a hundred thousand because there is almost a hundred thousand unique isbn selling every single hour okay that's crazy there's so, so much volume on one, amazon 100, roughly a hundred thousand okay. it might be ninety thousand it might be 120 it depends on the on the time of day and the time of year once it reaches 100,000, if it doesn't sell again, it starts going up and up and up and up. And there's a lot of things that go into rank. This is really oversimplifying it. But if it doesn't sell again after, let's say, two weeks, actually after about five to seven days, it gets up to a million. And there's a lot of booksellers that say, don't buy books ranked more than a million. 
Well, all that means is it sold five or six days ago, if it's ranked 1.1 million, for example. If it doesn't sell again, it keeps rising. After about a month, it might be around two million, two or three months, it might get to three or four million. And so again, those are high numbers. All it means is it hasn't sold a lot. Mm -hmm. Where you get into trouble, if you scan a book and it's three million, it doesn't really matter how many times it sold in the last six months. It just hadn't sold in, in a couple months and that's all we care about. So if it's a $10 book, you shouldn't be buying it. If it's a 30 or 40 or $50 book, it might be worth rolling the dice because yeah. it's likely to sell again. And these are almost like, like Scott IQ's triggers talking to you right now because he's the one that made them. So like once, once, we, once you get up to those higher ranked books, um, Scott IQ will tell you, hey, look, this might be profitable because what is it? It gets up to like 30 at one point, $30 like after 3 million. So he has a general like, rule. We, we, everything there is based on profit, but as a general rule, once you're north of about two to three million, you really want to see roughly $10 per million. So mm -hmm. a three million book should be selling for about $30 but e to justify it. But E-score is the first and foremost thing Scott IQ considers, right? It, yep. That overrides rank, but if that's not available, then it, it'll default. To so some books might be three million with zero E-score. It's a textbook that sold in the past, and its yeah. rank is three million. It hasn't sold in yeah. the last six months. Stay away from high rank textbooks. It's just not gonna get better versus a book that's three million and it's sold six times like in the an last art six book months. or like a jewish book or something like that so that's where e-score is going to protect you um you're going somewhere with that but basically where, where e-score protects you is a book that was six or seven million it hasn't sold in six months and it just sold a copy so if you were to scan the, a 20 dollars book that's ranked six million yesterday and it was still ranked six million your triggers would say buy it or don't buy it your eyeballs would say don't buy it you probably leave it there if you were to scan it the next day, it's gonna make a great little screenshot image yeah. for you, a little thumbnail. <laughs> That's a thumbnail, right? That's it. <laughs> if you were gonna scan it the next day after it just happened to sell one copy in, in the last six months and it sold yesterday, you'd scan it today, it's a $20 book yeah. and it's 150,000 rank. Yeah. So your, your triggers are still gonna say no, it's an e-score of one, and you shouldn't be buying the book if it's only 15 or $20, um, unless you really wanna take the, you know, roll the dice. Mm -hmm. So eScore protects you there because instead of going, oh my gosh, it's a it's a hundred fifty thousand ranked book that's selling for fifteen dollars, I need to buy it. The eScore kind of says, hold hold on, it's not selling all that often. Be careful. Yeah. So again, triggers they're not hard and fast. If you don't know what you're doing, or if you're brand new and don't want to take the time to learn it, or you're in a hurry, triggers are awesome. You can just mow through it, use the audio cues. Please use earphones. Don't just be loud and, and obnoxious at a sale but it's really great for just getting through quickly. As you get better and more experienced, I love looking at it. So I always have my phone and a barcode scanner on the back. I don't use the crazy big Natamu that uh, Avery loves. The so I don't want to use awesome. a, I don't want to use a garage. <laughs> you have that yeah, right I busted now. it out. I don't want to use a garage door. Elliot stole that for you. Elliot was His son it. stole that. I don't want to use a garage door opener, although you could, you, you could uh, Oh wow. durable too. Yeah. Uh-oh, it fell down the crack. No, it's I got it. easy to hold on to, isn't it? As it just fell on the crack. I'll find it later. Don't worry about it. It's like the Nautamu, guys. You got to get this scanner. It's still alive. It's still alive. Okay. So I use, a, I use an Opticon. It's much smaller, and I connect it to the back of my phone. Um, I'm talking fast because now I'm nervous. Dropped it on camera. But uh, I, I use one hand, and then I can scan with one hand and look at the data. And again, I'm just kind of busting through it. If it turns yeah. green, if it says, hey, it's worth looking at, then take an eyeball, you know, look at it and go, eh, you know what, it's saying avoid it, but actually I want it because it's close enough to my profit level. Yeah. 
It's funny you say that. It's making me want to start looking at the Scott IQ as I'm scanning because I've always been like just audio cue, audio cue, and just scan as many as I can. Well, today, for example, I was picking up a lot of books that we're gonna we can sell for a buck ninety eight. Yeah, buck fifty. I was doing that. They're gonna sell quickly. The triggers say no because you need two dollars. Yeah, but we already bought all the books. Yeah, and so if we can just go in and 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 pull a buck eighty almost guaranteed, we should. Mm -hmm. Now it's a slippery slope. We probably shouldn't be pulling stuff for seventy five cents. But you got you know that's where looking at it yeah. helps you out a little bit. Yeah, definitely. There's one more question, uh, kind of re revolving around like algorithmic uh, thinking, I guess, and uh, or things. And it, it's Logic. it's more lo yeah. Is that the word for it? Algorithm, <laughs> um, algorithm is just just it's fancy smart but, stuff. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of it's it's about repricing, but like, and I, I have this question too. Someone on Instagram asked this: is why is there, why are there still people out there? particularly FBA guys who are like so low priced on listings where they don't need to be. Um, is that just repricers going haywire? Like what, what's, what's happening there? Are people actually making profits off of this? And, and also could you address like, cause I'm really curious about why are there so many people, like there's a lot of people just selling cheap, cheap merchant fulfilled books. And are those people still just do they have like massive uh, discounted rates or, or like what is it? Yeah, so Merchant Fulfilled is a little different. We'll take that question first. Okay. Merchant Fulfilled, you can get really good rates if your volume goes up. You can get pre-sorted mail, I think uh, DHL, uh, some of these post companies. You can get crazy discounted rates. Like I think we're talking like a fifty or cheaper. Don't quote me on that. But I've, I've talked to some bulk sellers that get it down there. So you'll see kind of the floor price right now is mid fives, 550, 560, 570. Amazon's fees are the same for everybody. No one's getting discounted rates from Amazon. So a, a book that sells, let's let's do easy math. A book that sells for six dollars, Merchant Fulfilled, Amazon is taking a buck eighty plus fifteen percent of six, which is ninety cents. So they're taking two seventy, roughly half the sale. You've got three thirty left to play with, assuming you pick the book up. Let's call it free, and you have no labor, right? No overhead, anything. You got robots that do it, and no shelf space. But you basically spent three dollars on fees. And now you've got $3 in shipping. So if you can get your shipping down and it's a book that weighs half a pound or something, you might be able to pay a buck fifty in shipping and still net a buck fifty to a buck eighty. So it's not bad. You could theoretically see a floor price lower than that. Again, I don't know exactly what, what the discounted rates are. So some people play the game and they're actually gonna blow out inventory to try and increase their volume. Because the if they can crack a certain threshold, let's say a thousand orders a month or ten thousand orders a month, they'll actually qualify for better rates for everything. So sometimes they may sell a book and lose a little money or basically break even just to get better rates everywhere. Yeah, and better rates from like not DHL, not from Amazon, just parcel from, posts, yeah, other uh, shipping companies. Yeah, United States Post Office, that kind of thing. So that's Merchant Fulfilled. FBA is pretty much a, a level playing ground. The only differences you can get are how much you're paying for your books and how how fast you can prep them and send them in. Yeah. So people think, well, big sellers like Jensen or Goodwill, they must get better rates than us small sellers. Not true. Maybe maybe short time periods of time there's incentives, but as a general rule, it's the same. It's level. So Avery's paying the same fees I am. So on a ten dollar FBA book, your fees are roughly the same as we just talked about. Dollar eighty plus fifteen percent. So it's going to be a buck fifty plus a buck eighty. You're going to spend three thirty in Amazon fees. Plus you had to ship that book into Amazon, but let's ignore that because it's sunk cost, right? It's it's too late. Yeah. We already shipped it. We yeah. already spent the money. So we got three thirty in fees, and then Amazon's going to charge. A final or an FBA fee based on the weight of the book. If it's under 0.75 pounds, so three quarters of a pound, um, it's only it's going to be cheap. 
depends on dimensions a little bit as well, but typically it's gonna be, I think, 241. So you can still make money on a $10 book. It's 330 plus 240. Check my math, you can do this in the background of the screen, but five, what is that, 570? 330 and 240, yeah. So 570, you've got about 430 of profit left, four bucks on a $10 book. The problem is when that turns into a one pound book or just over three quarters of a pound or the dimensions are bigger, now it's like 475 for the fee. So you got 475 plus 330, we're doing too much math. You got about $2 of, of profit left over. So why do we see books that are, you know, FBA books that are 750 or 780 in those cases when yeah. the fees are that or high? Or even like $4. Sometimes you'll see it. It's either a, miss, a, a repricing error. The other thing is people go, well, they must have cheaper fees. They don't. Keep in mind it costs 15 cents to dispose of a book, one five cents. So if, let's say you could sell a book at a 14 cent loss, it's still cheaper to do that than it is to take the pay the 15 cents and dispose of it. So you might see that. That's like next level thinking, but some people do that. Yeah. I think it's either bad bad repricing rules, in which case you could buy those cheap offers and try and resell them yourself, or uh, they're just got different different parameters. But gotcha. it's not necessarily a rational market, although the buyers will buy those up if it gets too cheap. Sometimes I've seen FBA offers for a penny with free shipping. That never makes sense. Nobody's making money yeah. on that. Yeah. It's a repricer that screwed up. Yeah, I've, I've seen. Uh, but those are out there. We'll post a link. Probably it'll they'll be gone soon. But we can probably go find some right now with eFlip. Yeah, for sure. We'll find some books that I, are less I, than a dollar. Sometimes I'm in like the store, and it, it might be a store that actually like purchases your books back. And the book in the store will be like thirty bucks, but it'll be like seventy five cents Prime. And I'd be like, I could buy this Prime, get it in two days, take it to the store. They'll probably give me ten bucks for it. You know, if they can, if they really think they can sell it for thirty, which past data, if they price it at 30 they probably have past data that shows it it's sold at 30 so i'm like i could bring so it in there. reverse arbitraging instead yeah. of buying in the stores and selling on amazon you're buying exactly on amazon. yeah just in case i get banned from amazon i gotta have another hustle there you go <laughs> um let me look at a couple more questions keep, keep the, speaking of hustle this guy hustles we're sitting there scanning books and he's like talking to siri and i think siri is a virtual assistant with how much he talks to her <laughs> but he's got he's got people shipping in books and printing labels and sending letters he's got a little army at his disposal <laughs> So we're, we're gonna kind of take a step back from like really microscopically looking at data um, to just more general questions. Um, this is a question I have actually, so I'm gonna ask it first because this is the one that really interests me. Um, what do you think a comfortable number is for a sales goal for someone who's all books? Um, full-time, part-time? Full-time. Full, full Where do they live? How much south. money do they need they to live, make? They live in the south. Um, they want to rents what? I don't even know. Let's thousand say, bucks with utilities. Let's with say everything. twelve thousand. Let's say twelve thousand. Let's go monthly. Twelve hundred. Let's say they have a small family. Um, and I'm terrible because I'm so young. I, I don't. I'm really bad with like numbers like that. Like I just don't even yeah, even what understand. Yeah, cost? I'm paying is... twelve fifty a month for my apartment, and that's the only You've thing. You got I've, some food I've ever expenses, paid. entertainment. Yeah. yeah. So maybe your monthly living number to be. And Avery. you have two kids. You have two kids, and you have a wife that makes what's an average salary? I don't even know that. What's an average salary? Like forty thousand. Median in the U.S. Yeah, between thirty and fifty. So okay. Probably so in the your wife makes ballpark. Your wife. Let's say your wife works part-time and she makes like what like twenty-five thousand a year okay and you want to support your family what's like a reasonable um sales goal i think it's going to be a lot higher than a lot of people on here think um that's why i'm asking this question like what do you think and, and let's well, let's say like an an as an average sales price which is asp of like you're shooting for like 
20 20 bucks 20 bucks yeah okay good question i mean we could, we could get into budgeting and how to ex control your expenses the super ballparky like but it let's could just be say, a hundred thousand give or take like, let's just say you're looking to make uh i don't know let's say you were looking to bring them if your wife's making 25 grand a year so let's call it two grand a month let's say your family need is about five grand to cover insurance retirement everything let's say you want to live on 60 grand a year which is a, a good number most of the country, not in California, but most of the country, <laughs> 60 is a good number. So let's say you need to bring in uh, three grand a month with your book business. All the people from California are like disliking this video. <laughs> and Colorado, it's expensive in a lot of cities. But let's say you want to bring in three grand after fees. So let's ignore taxes. Let's just say three grand off of Amazon. In order to do a that, month. a month. Okay. So again, people share numbers all the time. They share their, like Avery posted his sales numbers the other day. Oh, well, yeah. sales are not profits. And just because you have a six-figure, just because you have a six-figure <laughs> Amazon business, I've seen I've seen people with seven-figure Amazon businesses that are in the red, yeah. meaning they're not profitable. So just because there's a big top number doesn't mean anything. So let's say you want to do three grand after fees on Amazon, and if you're doing twenty-dollar books, that pretty much turns into about ten to twelve-dollar payout. So let's call it sixty percent payout. So you need to sell five grand on Amazon, assuming no cost of goods. So you need to sell five thousand dollars worth of books, minus Amazon fees. Well, Amazon will then pay you three grand. Well, then what did you spend on inventory? You said twenty dollars ASP. Yep. Tracking my math, you need to sell two hundred and fifty books a month. What's your average buy cost? Two dollars. Yeah. Three stores two, two here there. Fair. Yeah. Let's say two. So you've got five hundred dollars in buy cost a month once you've reached equilibrium. Once your inventory is selling. And you got some mileage and some other expenses and some supplies, inbound shipping. And you probably actually need to sell around six grand a month to net about three grand pre-tax. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's kind of a good number to shoot for. If your ASP, if your sale price is higher, let's say you have a lot of textbooks and your sale price is 50 or 60, that changes the equation slightly. But for most of you, a good number, rule of thumb is 50 to 60% of your sales will end up as a payout or cash in your bank account. So six grand a month, you'd have to sell 72 grand a year to basically net around 50 grand. Sorry, did we do that math right? I mean, it'd be exactly No, you want to net 36. That, the, yeah. Yeah, you net yeah. 36. Yep, so you'd have to sell 72 to net 36. See, I think you should shoot for like triple that though. Well, it depends be on- Because it's, things are gonna go up and down. You, it's, it's not like a job. A job, you get a paycheck every week. With entrepreneurship, it, yeah, that's you, a good you point. have your it's ups not... and you have your downs. You, you might have like a really bad month where you don't make much and you want to have a piggy bank where you've set aside, you know, from maybe January where you did, you know, you know, a huge month. Maybe you did like, I mean, I think I heard you say this before you, you, you do, or maybe Reezy said this, um, you do like the majority of your, I mean, I think all booktellers do the majority of their sales <laughs> in during January textbook season. January and August yeah. and September, yeah. There was some number out there that like... 50% or something like that. 50% like uh, of, of revenue and sales occur during those months. So it's not quite that high, but it's it's up there. We typically sell 15 to 20% of our inventory every month as a turn rate and during textbook season we sell about 50 or a little more. And we're okay. textbook heavy. So you take a typical month if you have let's say you have $100,000 in inventory and normally you sell 15 to 20%, you're going to have 15 to $20,000 months. If you have a 40 or 50% sell-through rate of your textbooks during textbook season, you're gonna have a 40 or $50,000 month. Yeah. So yeah, it does help. It'd probably be a quarter of your business in two months, 30% of your business in two months. Yeah. Yeah. I think all booksellers should have big textbook seasons, at least bigger. Bulk like, sellers don't really. 
they don't? No, because okay. they're not they're not really geared toward that. Like okay. if you look at some of the guys we've met at these conferences, they get a little bump, a rising hmm. uh, what is riding rising tide carries all ships or lifts all ships. Who who rides boat? You drive you ride <laughs> drive a boat. You uh, paddle a canoe. You used to be on his car yep. over here. I brought I brought the uh, rack just in case, just in case I needed it <laughs> on this know. little sourcing trip and in, in case something crazy happened with the book flipper. I had the rack on my car. There it is. So I took the canoe off. And <laughs> I was ready to go. But yeah, you should obviously figure out what you need and then work backwards from that. And figure out you need to be sourcing in that case 250 to 300 books a month, and you have to have an inventory big enough to support that. Um, but yeah, always always try and cut your expenses even more because if you have a down month and then you're good yeah where we get into trouble what up what up fritz what it's up? my boy fritz he's doing? been he's been hustling books this kid hustled a ton of books How from you uh tired kind of tired but i'm good fritz hustled a ton of books from college he's a college student and uh he got textbooks he hustled about 900 he spent 900 on textbooks it's gonna be a pretty good good pay. I'm, I'm paying him 30% of that. He doesn't know anything about selling on Amazon. He's just helping me out. He's a hustler though. Um, so yeah, we're gonna take a step back and get more into uh, just like general uh, questions about reselling. Um, what? So a lot of people want to know um, where to get books besides library sales um, and thrift stores. Um, so what do you have on that? Uh, we talked about this at a couple of the conferences, but I, I tell people go upstream. So if you just source from libraries and thrifts, if you can make a run of that, keep going. That's awesome. But that's going to be the lowest hanging fruit. So anybody with a smartphone and a couple hundred dollars to get started can be your competition. Um, you know, yeah. someone that doesn't really know what they're doing and just watching the triggers and it says buy can be your competition. So if that's your only sourcing and it works, good for you. That's awesome. Keep doing it. But start getting creative leverage your neighborhood leverage your neighbors figure out ways to, to connect work with schools try and get backroom access Avery talks about this quite right. a bit but go upstream if you're just waiting for the books to hit the shelves and then be put on the shelves and maybe you're competing with other scanners that's it's it's not really a business it's a job and it's a good hustle but find ways to go upstream talk to the manager see if you can get backroom access ask what do they do with the books that don't go on the on the shelves Try and figure out where the donations are coming from and you be the one that gets the donations. Put a bin up, uh, talk to neighbors, put Craigslist ads out to go pick up books. Find a way to go upstream. Library, talk to the friends of the library. Where do, what are they doing? Do they have experience? Can you help sell for them? Can you buy the books before they go to the sale? What can you do to go upstream? Give yourself an unfair advantage, leverage the, your connections, build relationships and, and go that route. Also start thinking outside the box. Where are books? Publishers have books. Schools have books, colleges have books. Uh, it's not just thrift stores and libraries, right? So figure out where the books are. Homeschoolers have books. Uh, everybody in their house has books. How do you unlock the power of that? It's a little weird knocking on their door asking to scan their li their library collection. <laughs> yeah. But find ways to, to not just be doing libraries and thrift stores. Give yourself an unfair advantage. Yeah. So that's a you guys should rewatch that 10 times it's a, there's a ton of good I gotta rewatch that <laughs> and there's a lot if you if you have a, a closed mindset thinking that's it and there you know as soon as 10 other people in your town get access to the same thrift store you're hosed you're not thinking you're not thinking big there's there are big sources out there uh, some of which we're just discovering ourselves um, and and the opportunities are, are, are pretty good yeah 
again, if you live in a big market, Denver, Chicago, East Coast especially, you can make money riding, you know, driving up and down, hitting thrift stores. Nothing wrong with yeah. that. I love garage sales because it leads to relationships and it's just fun. Yeah. So I like to walk up and down and chit chat with the neighbors and, and other people and uh, just start asking questions. Buy their books. They'll ask what you're doing with them. Be honest. And it might lead to more more conversations. Yeah, which you mentioning that like uh, like uh, talking to people and leading to like networking and getting more sources from that in a way that's kind of scalable. What what are some things that resellers can do that are scalable in their business? It's just not it's not just a grind to where when the next year comes everything's done. What are some things they can do to where it comes back to them the next year? All everything that they sowed in you know 2018 is going to come back in uh you know tw or it's 2019 now so yeah, tw 2020, 2020. <laughs> build relationships um, okay so like and, what, what does that look and, like and you've been doing it somewhat too i don't know how open you are about this but i'm open about consignment deals. everything yeah so you've got people hustling for you sending you books that either they're restricted on or they they're having trouble. One hundred percent. Why wouldn't I be open about that? Drop right. drop below if you guys are restricted <laughs> in books. I'll sell them for you. <laughs> right. So that's that's something that you build on. Yeah. Right. You also find like book scouts or even libraries like mm. on consignment or thrift stores or anything. Friends of the yeah. library, for example, set up relationships and, 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 where you are either helping them, either you go in and trade your time for money, or set them up. That's why we built like Scout IQ Hidden Mode. You can literally set up a team member remotely, never touch their phone. Give them a login. You can hire someone. You can be living in Tennessee like Avery, and you can hire someone in California to scan books for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And if, so it, turn, now, if it turns green, put it in, a, in one stack. If it turns red, put it in the other. Totally. And that's where triggers come into play because yeah. you get to set the rules for exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. Now those books are showing up at your front porch. You didn't scan them. You didn't trade your time to do it. Now if you go one step further and hire someone to list, you've pretty much removed yourself from the from the equation. And I've thought about this a good amount too in just consignments in general. And something that consignments do is you're, you're, you're kind of taking someone's money for a while. You're taking something that's worth money and you're holding on to it for a while. And when you take someone's money, they think about you a lot. They're, they're thinking, are they going to pay me? And if you're an honest person, like the book flipper here, or me, especially him, because he, he developed the tracking spreadsheet. So like <laughs> that's the, how we track the, the payouts people. are just... It, like there's no arguing against it he knows every single fee that happened each month he just runs the scripts there's also a link for that below um it, it, like consignments wouldn't be i could not do consignments without that i mean no, that's, that's, that's probably why you, why you developed that spreadsheet that's a that's a big one we wanted to know what ranks sell back before there was much research on it and then we wanted to be able to track and honestly we do more in consignment for other people than we do finding our own books. And, right and I think, I don't know if you've thought about this or not, because I, I don't think I've talked to you about this, but I think consignments are so great because people think about you a long time because you're, you're basically holding on to something of value for them. And then when you do pay them, it's like, oh, he's for real. He's for real about this. Like he wasn't just, you know, bullshitting. He actually took something, especially when the consignment goes really well where they get you lots of books and you pay them thousands of dollars. It's like, okay. I'm gonna start talking about this person because they thought about you for several months. Like, oh, is he gonna pay me? Is he gonna pay me? And then, then it happened, and then they realized you're real. Versus, because the alternative is you, you would have paid them a much lower amount up front. And it's transactional. It's not relational. Yeah, and then it would have been over with. And maybe yep. they would have thought about you. I mean, there's a high chance they would have. But because they thought about you for several months and they weren't really sure. But then when you paid them, they were like, okay, this is for real. Well, I, th I think that's a huge 
point. It's like, a good point, yeah. And we pay every month. And so if someone gives us a ton of books, we pay them the next month and the month after that. And they keep selling for three to six to eight to 12 months, depending on what's in there. And so it's a chance. Sales is all about getting top of mind, getting in front of them and saying, hey, I'm still here, remember me. And when you write them a check, that's a really good way to say, hey, here's a couple hundred bucks, here's a thousand bucks, whatever the, the agreement was. Here's your money. And it's a, even if you don't even ask for it, they're already thinking about you in positive light. And yeah. they're thinking, how do I find more books? Exactly. Top three tips for resellers. This is the last question. What what top three tips do you have, just in general, I guess, for for anyone, any reseller? Know your numbers. Know, know what goes into a sale. Can you sell a book for $3 and make money, $8, 12 bucks? Know your numbers, even just some basic ones. Uh, build systems. You're really good at this. Instead of just like, hey, I'm gonna do this one job one time, write it down, outsource it to a VA if you can, or just have it written down so you don't have to repeat your thinking again. So know your numbers, set up your systems, and improve, like just go find more books, improve your sourcing and your sources. If you do those, the rest takes care of itself. Like Amazon's beautiful. We throw books into it and magic happens and money comes out. It takes time and you gotta be decently knowledgeable about it, but it works and you can fine tune that model. But honestly, once you have it down and you got your systems and you know what your goals are, for us, we have weekly goals we try and hit. As long as you can do that, you can keep growing the business. Yeah. Awesome. The book flipper guys. And drink good beer and good coffee. Those are two bonus One, tips. 100%. Yingling, y'all. Is that good compared to Denver beer? Is that That's probably better than Denver beer, right? It's like, you know, this is classic <laughs> Midwest beer. I remember when you couldn't get it in uh, Indiana. My brother-in-law and I had a trade. I would bring him, I think, Fat Tire. They couldn't get it in Ohio. And he would trade me for Yingling because we couldn't get it in That's Indiana. That's And you probably wanted it more because you couldn't get it. Totally. Like, the grass and now that I can green. drink it, it's like, you it's decent beer. Um, you guys can find him at the book flipper. The bookflipper.com is awesome. Just type in the book flipper anywhere on any platform except Snapchat. He hasn't gotten there I yet. I am on Snapchat, <laughs> but no one talks to me. I don't, I don't really understand. Is it the it. book flipper? Uh, I probably it might be Caleb Roth. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. I think it's the book flipper. Come find me on Snapchat. I'll probably reply. <laughs> I'm on Snapchat. I'll probably reply two months later. Um, the, <laughs> Book, book, uh, the book flipper uh, Facebook group's an awesome place to, to go and ask questions. Um, there's lots of smart people on there that'll answer your questions. Um, on Instagram, he'll post like once a month, so that's pretty cool too. <laughs> Most of the time, it's his cute little baby Elliot. And then um, on YouTube, there's there's tons of good content. If you guys, after this video, if you guys want to go watch something like really good, go watch uh, his pricing videos. Um, there's just lots of little nuggets in there about how to how to really price and you'll learn so much more about um, reselling just from watching that video I feel I always recommend that video to people there's a few of them but it's got like a pink graph in the background um, but go watch that this guy he's got so much knowledge and like thank you for he's basically taught me everything so I want to thank you for that I'll send you an invoice <laughs> no it's, it's been a it's been a privilege it's a uh, this is a crazy crazy business and I love that the community is just connected and helps each other I've learned from so many other people I've picked up a bunch of social media tips from you and just connect meet other people don't be don't be scared to connect and share what you're doing you're gonna pick up something and it's gonna benefit everybody so it's, it's pretty cool to meet people in person awesome guys well the Sun is completely set yeah so it's gonna be cool watching that video just uh, we're gonna wind it down <laughs> and uh, thanks for watching cheers peace out